the Hockey Hurts Podcast would like to extend our gratitude to Stefan Thunbury for donating to the show. Donations help offset the cost of the servers to maintain the podcast and are greatly appreciated. You can donate to the podcast for as little as $1 per month by visiting patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for July 22nd of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And we are very fortunate back-to-back weeks with high-quality guests. I don't know how uh, how we pulled that off with our scheduling, but it happened. Uh, today we're we're very lucky to have Nick Mercadante of Hockey Graphs, correct? Yes. How are you? Who was, who was the guest last week? Yost. Oh, well, he's he's got a higher profile than me. Yeah, but... <laughs> Not because of these bad food types. But he, you like ice cream, right, Nick? I do. Yeah, I, I, right. I well, you're, enjoy you're other gaining foods points with probably the, yeah. the listeners already. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only foods uh, Yost actually likes are like muscle milk and I don't know. I think that's about muscle it. Muscle milk, not peanut yeah. butter. He doesn't like peanut butter. Hates peanut butter cups too. Jeez. Oh, okay. I know. And he's causing our podcast to derail. Having a lasting impact. <laughs> so we have Nick on for two reasons. Uh, his expertise on the New York Rangers, and I believe they have been one of the more active teams uh, in the last few days or past week or so. And uh, I've, I view Nick as one of the uh, leading people in goalie research these days. He has his own stat, Mercad per 60, that he'll get into later in the podcast too. I, I think it's an incredibly valuable tool. I don't think, uh, and even I don't think Nick, you would say it, it treat it like a war stat, like a catch-all, but it it really is a great starting point, in my opinion, to kind of gauge goaltenders around the league and even in past years, correct? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, you you hit it on the head. I think that one of the best things about the way it works is that you can compare goalies across seasons, and and um, because it always. Um, sets itself to league average. Um, you don't run into that problem of, well, this goalie played in a different era or under different circumstances. Um, you can kind of put, put everybody on more of an even playing field. So so we'll we'll tie that in later. Maybe I'll even throw him a, a bone with a Lundquist talk. All right. <laughs> but um, So early in the week, I believe the first move made uh, kind of – Kind of out of nowhere. I guess they had been talking for a few weeks, but out of nowhere for us, the general public, was Derek Broussard uh, and Mika Sabinajad uh, flipping. But uh, Ottawa sent a nice little gift over to the Rangers in the form of a second-round pick. Uh, I imagine you were pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, this one was actually tough for me because I had heard about it um I think about two weeks prior to when the deal actually went down. Um, so I got, I did get a little bit of insider info on it, that there was something in the works, but they were trying to work out details. And I think that part of it had to do with um, the bonus uh, payout that was due to Broussard. So they waited for that to go through. And I think that that might've been how they negotiated the, the draft pick. I don't know that factually that's just something that i that i kind of caught wind of early on um but it was hard to sit on that one because for well for two reasons first of all you know Broussard is such a fan favorite in new york um 
he's just done everything he, he's, he's supposed to do. You know, he, he kind of came in as a guy who maybe was um, known as a little bit of an underachiever for a first-round draft pick um, in Columbus. And then when he got to New York, he was very productive. And he was always there. Um, it seemed like he was there in, in a lot of the, the bigger moments. He was a, a clutch power play guy, if, if there's such a thing. But I think it really just comes down to that he, um, he has a, a, a very good shot and he's, he makes smart, fast decisions with the puck on his stick. So he was one of those guys that was easy to like because you knew when in the offensive zone, uh, when he got the puck, he was going to do something special. So, um, so that was a tough one to sit on because I, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the, the value in the deal and I'm going, boy, the, I think this is actually a really good trade for the Rangers. Um, but they're losing a, you know, a fan favorite type of guy. Yeah. And he's, um, he is pushing towards that 30 year old range. So I think they slice out about six years with Zabina Jad, if I'm correct. Yep. Yep. That's right. So yeah. it's one of 20, those, he's 23, right? Something around there Zibinijad, about, yeah. it's one of those things where you, you got to give to get a little bit. And I think it, it it's kind of forward thinking to, to get a guy that still has his best years in front of him. And I still think Broussard has at least probably two really good years left in him. Um, but the timing of the, the trade, like you had mentioned, is funny to me because, you know, it's clearly Ottawa being cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they make salary moves, not cap moves. I know. And, and, you know, this is so rare for the Rangers to make a move where they come out on the winning side with a draft pick. You know, they've been so flippant with their draft picks for seemingly forever, um, you know, in, in their win now mentality. This really seemed like a smart kind of, okay, look, we're coming from a position of strength as far as the fact that we're willing to pay this guy um, his bonus. And I, I think that that was the negotiating piece to get that to get to i don't know for sure but you know to get that second round to get that draft pick going up um that that's to me that's that's not a ranger type of move um and and to go for getting younger over kind of a an established guy that's worked in the rangers offense those aren't typical rangers types of things so maybe it i don't know maybe it signals you know a little bit of a a shift uh, under Gorton as far as trying to um, uh, be a little bit more savvy with his decision-making. Yeah, I, I think it's something they have to consistently start to do again. Pittsburgh did the same thing for a few years there where they just threw all their draft picks away for Reynolds and that kind of stuff. Uh, we saw what happened to their bottom six forwards. It just got totally depleted. Their defense core slowly but surely began to crack, and they had to eventually replenish and get some draft picks. And a lot of their contributing players uh, for the cup this year were, were draft picks or trade yeah, or and, trades. And, they weren't free agents. So, right. And they were guys, I mean, put Kessel aside. I, you know, the HBK line isn't really a, truly a, no, that's a really good six line. line. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a top six line on any team. Um, so put, putting that aside though, but a lot of the different, guys that kind of worked through the bottom six throughout the season and then solidified themselves throughout the lineup, not just in the bottom six, but throughout the lineup, um, you know, in the last couple months and then into the playoffs, you know, those are the guys you need. I, I feel like teams lose sight of that. They, 
think, okay, let's get top heavy and we'll be fine. You get top heavy by being bad, okay? And then you get really good draft picks and you, unless, I mean, hold on, I should take that back. Unless you're Nashville and you somehow trade Shea Weber for DK Subban. <laughs> and <laughs> Martin Erad for freaking Philip Forsberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you work magic like that, you usually get top heavy by being bad and getting some really good draft picks, and then those carry you for ten years, right? And you pay them because they're superstars and they're you know once in a generation players, so you pay them uh, you know it, as much as as that's worth. But really, what I think makes or breaks a lot of teams is the fact that you've got depth and you can play um, you can play guys throughout your lineup that are. You know, not only not going to hurt you, but they're going to bring different things to the table, and they're going to contribute in different ways. And it makes it harder to match up against your team when, you know, on any given night, you can throw a a Connor Sheary onto whatever line, and he'll probably be a pretty productive, you know, little player. He so he won't kill you. He won't kill you. That's for sure. Um, and he'll probably be pretty productive if you put him with some good players that can, that can, you know, find him on the rush, things like that. So that's to me, that's how you build a, a really good team. You know, I, and then you just going back to the Rangers, um, you know, the Rangers were never willing to wait for some of their young talent to develop that way. And they would just go, yeah, you know what, we're going to go just buy a guy and throw him at the top midseason, you know, who cares about if they've been on, you know, if, if they're going to fit into the role that we, we put them in, we're just going to sh- kind of slam them in there. And I don't, I don't know if that's, I mean, they had success. They had a lot of success because of Lundquist, but I don't know if that's how you really build a sustained winner. I think that's the, you know, we're going to go for it. And then if, if it doesn't work, then we're just going to be kind of dead in the water, and that's kind of where the Rangers are right now. I think they've hit their lowest, maybe. But um, Cam, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think the top end talent that the Rangers have got is top end enough to basically run out the model that you just explained? Well, no. See, that's the, and that's the whole problem with the Rangers, right? So they've been in the mix for so long because of Lundqvist. I mean, what other team? There are. Are there any other? Te- I don't know. I don't think there are any other teams that have had a run of top five goaltending season in and season out for ten years. No, oh, no that's why he's the generational guy. Yeah, I mean the Absolutely. only team, right? The only team that would have been that way would have been the Canucks with Luongo and then you know Luongo and Schneider. So. And they were just like, nah, screw it. We're just going to trade those two guys. Maybe because... Florida with a year broken up because they had Vokun for a long time and then Luongo. That's true. And they then w- what was the break in between Luongo and Luongo? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I forget they... how long that if they Was Vokun there after Luongo? I can't remember. But uh, but Florida's I... like the only other team I can string together to really. Yeah, and they were, and they were so like just kind of just. They weren't good cap- enough, but they had good goaltending. Yeah, but like so, so that's the thing. That's the the blessing and the curse that the Rangers have dealt with is that they've always been in the mix, which means they're always going for, which means they're always trading draft picks, or they're not getting they're getting bottom of the first round picks, you know, not top of the first round, and then a couple, even a couple of their top first round guys, you know, McElrath never, he's I don't I don't see it. I mean, we'll see this year with a 
bigger role, but I don't see it. You know, Miller's taken a, a while to develop. Um, so, you know, yeah, to answer your question, you know, I don't think that they've, you know, bottomed out so that they can get those, you know, so they can get a John Tavares or a Taylor Hall or a Sidney Crosby or a Melk. You know, no, I, the, did, I didn't mean bottom out in that sense. I just mean, yeah. I think this is their lowest point in, in, as far as the amount of futures they have in hand and pocket. Oh, I agree. I agree. No, I, I was just kind of, I worded that maybe poorly. No, no, no. I was kind of answering Cam's question too. Like, do they have the top end talent to, you know, I, you know, I don't think they do. I don't think Nash is that. I don't, you know, Zuccarello is a really, really great complimentary player. He's not a shooting star, you know. Nash, so. Nash feels to me like Phil Kessel did in um, Toronto. He went there to have to be the guy to carry the team. Nash is a, a, a top-level complimentary sort of player. He just needed an out-and-out superstar to get the most out of Rick Nash. And how do you go about acquiring a guy like that? Via the draft, very rarely do you get a Edmonton-Montreal, freaking Nashville, goddamn New Jersey sort of a, a, a trade <laughs> combination to make those things happen. Yeah. So it, it's it's tough for the Rangers because best goalie of the generation, uh, they've made a – They've made the cup final once, uh, Eastern Conference finals twice. It, it must be frustrating as a fan to to see the way the bottom six or lack of depth around your top end talent be the reason that you guys just fell short, really. Tanner Glassbug. Yeah. Well, it, it's like yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> we got we got rid of the bug. You got it, and look at what happened. <laughs> It's yeah, it's we and we cannot get rid of it. We actually love it. It's like a blanket for us, a warm blanket. Uh, so moving away from that though, it it feels as though he's moving away from that style of bottom six four. I I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like he wants to try. Okay, I thought that too. (laughs) The first twenty games of last season, when Glass was down in the AHL, I was like, we've done it. We figured it out. And then as soon as the team struggled, all that happened, all that happened last year was that Lundqvist had, Lundqvist every season has like a span of 10 games, 10, maybe 15 games where he's not the best goalie. And Is people, that just so he proves that he's human and not robotic? Is that all he does that for? I swear to God, I swear to God there's something to that. Or it's like, yeah, I don't know what it is. But he, he always has, it's always all together, a 10 or 15 game span, and people start going, I don't know, this is the year, maybe he's not going to do it this year. And then, <laughs> you know, 10 games later, he's back to being Lundqvist, and then everybody's like, oh yeah, this is amazing. So <laughs> it was that point in the season, so it was like end of October, in going into November, and I'm going, oh man, Tanner Glass, He's coming back up, isn't he? And I'm like checking his AHL stats, and he had like, I don't know what he had. He had like six points or something in 18 games. And I'm like, that's something that like AV might be like, well, hey, he's bringing some toughness with just a little bit of offense there. <laughs> just, <laughs> a just a little. Just a little. And sure enough, sure enough, literally the next game after I was tweeting about that, Tanner Glass, call back up. And I'm like, yeah, it's never going to stop, is it? <laughs> and, and, and here we are. And, and, you know, again, so this year. So, so we've, we've, we got a lot of good depth guys, I think, this offseason. I like Josh Joris. Um, 
I like Gerby. Like if he's healthy, yeah. he's, yep. he's a good player. Um, those are guys like you want in your bottom six. I bet you anything that Tanner Glass is going to get at least 50 games. I bet you anything he's going to get 50 games. Is and he, it's going to be insane. I see Grabner's there too, which is another example yes. of a worthy yeah, like, chance on a player. Right. Like Stahlberg yeah. was. He was all right. Yes. Was he not? Sure, sure. I mean, it's better. I'll, I'll say this much. It's better than like last year where it was Jarrett Stahl. Or Stoll, whatever, however it's pronounced. Yeah, he's um, that wasn't that was kind of one of those yesteryear signings where you're viewing yeah this, yeah uh, intangible double cup kind of guy. Yeah, like these guys are these guys that the Rangers have brought in are really I think really could be very good contributors. So you know they've gotten some they've gotten some nice depth and, and obviously keeping Kreider and keeping Hayes very important. Um, keeping Miller is very important. Um, but none of those guys are superstars, so it's not like we're supplementing. Now we've got some depth, and we've got a lot of good forwards. We definitely don't have that top-end superstar. I don't think you can rely on Nash to be that because of his injury history. And it just seems like – I feel like the – you know, and I don't know if the this, this, this stats back this up, to be honest with you. I'd have to check. But I feel like he was always at his best when he had um, Broussard and Zook playing with him. Um and I don't know if he's going to have that kind of line combination. They kind of floated him around more last year. Is Zook so, just a winger? Yeah, Zook's just a winger. Okay. Um, I mean, he's he's a really, really great little winger. That plays I, I didn't mean to use that as a derogative. I was no, just I know. trying to figure out who on your roster I could trade for maybe a bigger piece. Yeah, it's it's. I was tough. looking at Stepan. Not that he's bad, but like – what, what do you do here to kind of get a bigger piece? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, really, I don't. And, and, you know, and then the bottom line is it really it doesn't – we can talk about the offense and whether it's improved or not or, you know, they've got depth now and they've got – none of it matters as long as, as, as we've got the Wonder Twins back there on D. That's uh, – I was going to ask, who's going to get these guys to – like, they're quick. You're, you're – you're... Your forwards are quick. You can skate, but who's going to get them a puck? I don't Kevin know. Kevin on his own. I maybe me if they get <laughs> me out. I I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I here's the thing. McDonough, McDonough is a is a really good defenseman. He's a number yes. one defenseman. You know, he's a I don't know. Throw a number out. Top thirty defenseman in the NHL. Whatever you want to call it. That would be number one I, by definition. Yes. Yeah, so he fits that mold, but what he is not is he is not a premier um, north-south puck mover. Um, he's – I don't know how to describe it. Like he's kind of he's, – he makes great decisions in traffic, but if you're looking for a guy who's just going to like headman passes – like if you're looking for Keith Yandel, <laughs> uh, that's – that's not really mixed up. He's, he's a better Paul Martin. Yeah, actually, that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, I kind of. I, kinda bringing Paul Martin I always. Any excuse I have to bring him up on the podcast, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I kind of like that comparison, though. I mean, look, McDonough's a great skater. He he he's really good on puck um, in all situations, whether it's in the corners trying to dig the puck out or if it's with the puck on his stick. He's good on puck, but he he's not going to make. 
passes to free up forwards. And if you know anything about how the Rangers, when the Rangers are going right, it's quick strike offense. It's it's almost yeah. like counterattacking in soccer. It's quick strike offense. And, you know, what went underappreciated was that Yandel and Boyle are really, really good at setting up forwards on the move to get that quick strike offense going. And Boyle got no credit for that during his time with the Rangers. I saw it. But, but it, a comes lot with, of it comes with an element of risk. So you're going to get high. You're going to give up quality turnovers every one in ten. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they're sure. the things that got Boyle picked apart. Same with with yep. the handle. You, the, it's them trying to get the puck up to those forwards with speed. You know, diagonal cross ice passes across the, the defensive zone. It's going to go wrong occasionally. But losing the, those two players with that element in their game that's why I asked. I can't see how those forwards are going to get the most out of themselves yeah. if they have to come so deep into the zone just to recover the puck. Well, and, and that was, a you know, and this is going to be another, I think, kind of underrated thing. You know, everybody dogs the Rangers' defense because they get hemmed in the zone and because Girardi and Stahl are really bad and log a ton of minutes, right? But their defensive systems actually – if, if you just look at their systems and not how players are performing in it, not Girardi doing snow angels and spinning in circles, but you look at <laughs> how their defense is structured, it's a really, really kind of smart support valve system where they get the centers low as a support valve for the defenseman who's looking to make a pass up ice, usually across the ice to get three guys on one side of the ice moving in a different direction than everybody else that's trying to attack the offensive zone. But what it relies on is really good passers, and it relies on quick, aware centers that can get involved in that and then catch up to the rest of the offense, right? So, you know, Stepan is – that's an underrated part of his game. Um, Broussard? You know, I don't know. Yeah, Broussard was good at it. Broussard also would do a lot of like switching with Zook, like Zook would swoop into the middle down low and then Zook would kind of start the offense going up. Um, so, you know, that's something that's gone now. But, you know, Yandel and Boyle, I mean, they were just like phenomenal at it. And an underrated thing that, that also left this, you know, this offseason was all Samuelson. He, um, that's, he, I know it's all Samuelson, so everybody thinks like, that's not how he played the game. But if you listen to his interviews and what he talks about as a coach, it's all he talks about is how, the way that Brian Leach played the game. And this is what this is what it's all about now is puck movement and possession and moving up the ice quickly as a unit. Um, I, I think that that was his influence more than AV's, and that's gone now. So it will be very interesting to see if they'll be able to replicate it given the lack of talent and given the lack of coaching, um, I don't know. It's I, it's going to be fascinating yeah. to see how potentially bad they could be. It's going to use that word. It will be a fascinating range of season. Yeah, because yeah, there are other yeah. teams that are kind of getting their act together a little bit at a time. I think Carolina is going to be a lot better, and I think their defense, for all the things you just talked about, they're kind of quietly building up quite a little puck-moving defense core down there. Yeah, yeah, they are. They, they they've um, they've got a, a a good team. If they can, um, yeah, I don't know about that Cam Ward signing, but <laughs> I think they're just buying time for something. 
It's a two. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like the signing. I'm, I'm pro- we probably feel identical. They're like, what are we doing here? But when you look at their overall big picture, he's not going to be the guy when they finally make a, a push. Would, no, I, don't I still think wouldn't so. argue for the signing, but it's like, well, whatever. It's not. I've, like... I've heard all these. I've heard that that you know when he got signed, that the the two things I heard was, well, it's a stealth tank move, and then the second thing I heard was, it's a it's a Las Vegas move, right? That they're you know they need to have a goalie that they won't protect and. Man, they're, if Vegas is going to have their pick of so many good goalies that I don't think Cam Ward's on the radar. I don't think, yeah, that's and that's what the short sightedness of people saying that was. It's like, I don't think, okay, that might be the case. I highly doubt it. I don't think Ron Francis is a dummy. You've, you've got teams like Pittsburgh and Tampa that got to move hell and high water to, to get Flurry and Bishop the heck out of there so they can yeah, protect yeah. A, a Murray I mean, and a Vasilevsky. I don't think that Vegas is going to go. You know what? Cam Ward is is going to be our first franchise goalie. Um, like James yeah. Reimer is going to be out there. It's, it's, it's George McFay. It's George McFay. Stranger things have happened. James Reimer is um, going to be out there. I would have to. Yeah, think. that's true. Does I know Mongo a lot of people no movement. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But you know, a lot of people said, "Well, I don't." What is Florida doing? Stockpiling goalies with. You know, Barra and Reimers, well, one of them might be gone, you know. Um, and Barra's pretty darn good depth to have. Uh, you know, they're not going to have Longo for the first uh, little bit of the season there because of his um, uh, his surgery. So, um, you know, that's a, that's why not. I mean, they barely paid anything, uh, any, anything to have him. They got a good deal with Reimer. Why not have some goalie depth? If he doesn't have a no movement clause, I bet the Panthers leave Luongo sitting there. Yeah, yeah, they could. He's got they six could. years left if you include next. I year. know, I know, and he's really, you know, functionally, he's probably got, you know, what called two two more seasons probably in the tank or something like that. He's, so he's still very good, but you're right. I mean, he is getting to a point where it's either um, he's going to go down a little bit, or he's going to pull a hashik and continue. Well, to... yeah, and. Yeah, who knows? I mean, pulling a hashik is not the norm. No, and 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 also, you know, you look at the the Panthers. You, you got to think that they've, you know, they they went from they were a first place team that wasn't really a they they weren't really a contender if you dug into it. Um, to now, you look at them on paper and you kind of go, mm, that's that's a contending team. That's a team that's going to be very dangerous. So, you know, I could see Luongo saying, I, I, I'm going to stick around at least a little while and see if I can win a cup. There were one of a handful of teams in the league right now that I would be shocked if they made a terrible move. Because yeah. they, they, they're they're bringing in some, some people that kind of think along the, probably the same way all three of us are viewing the sport at the time. Yeah, um, yeah, they've got some smart folks. I mean, I, look, I don't want to... Say too many nice things about my uh, my friends Cam and Josh, but uh, um, they are uh, they're no dummies. I'll say that, but let's not let's not blow up their heads too much. No, but it's going to be damage control. You're not going to get a Taylor Hall Larson trade. You're not going to get a Weber Subban trade. You're not going to trade Barkov for some 28 year old other center. You know what I mean? They're not going to. Yeah. They're on the rise and they're going to stay there for a bit. And I agree but, with but you. What they are going to do though is do the Kulikov for Pisic trade. Yes, that's a great example yeah, exactly. of what we're talking about. Right. 
And, and I, I, I'm so I'm assuming I don't know if you guys have the same opinion I do. I, I think Pizik is sneaky, sneaky good. I've He's watched, a very um, competent player. A number of times he played here in Rochester. I th- I th- yeah. I th- For an extended amount of time. Was... Probably I passed when he should have been. Yeah, like I enjoy watching Kulikov play, and then looking deeper into after the trade, you've gone, that's brilliant by Florida. They've got there, they've, they've, they've parlayed a, a visually pleasant-looking hockey player into an actually statistical um, improvement on their roster. So the puck should be at the other end of the ice a lot more than it was when Kulikov was on the ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's and how, there's how about the uh, good, good Branson... Uh, how about giving him a, a contract where everybody's like, what? Uh, that's a little bit of an overpayment there. And then they trade him to the Canucks. And <laughs> it was just like, I, I've, I, I watched that happen in real time. And, and uh, you know, I, I as, as it was happening, I, I'm going, this looks like it was way too planned out, like scary planned out that they – Gave him that contract, and uh, and and then you know just shortly after that, uh, the Canucks snatch him up, and I'm going, oh man, I feel so bad for Canucks fans. That that franchise is in a freefall, and it, they it, it are will get... the worst situation in the league. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they really are. <laughs> I, that what about that Tanev rumor? I mean, but what I mean by that is there what. <laughs> I liken them now to like how the Sabres were post Briere Drury when Vanek was still there with Roy and Pominville and they would just be yeah. chasing eighth place every year. Some years they got in and they would be first round and out. Other years they're just there's you're stuck with that like fourteenth overall draft pick every single year and you're not you're not a threat to win. And they have aging stars with the Sedines and you would be like, Okay, well it makes sense to move them, but then it's like well, shit, one of them, they're not going to go unless they both go, and they make $14 million. Who has the money, the cap space, the assets to get both of them and still have it make sense? And it's like, there isn't anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I know. you got to look at it that way, too, really. I mean, that's a, that's a massive, massive trade uh, because I can't, you know, one's not going where the other one's not going. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That 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 franchise They is can't just even bat them out. The Sedins yeah. are still really good. They won't allow it. Louis Erickson's really good. Still. Yep. I mean that contract probably won't work out, but for two years he's gonna be pretty good. Brandon Sutter's there to save him. He'll float him to the playoffs, from what I hear. <laughs> that's that's the rumor out of uh Western yeah. Canada. So I don't know if that's gonna no, work, I, but I've, they have I've, Derek Dorsett. Oh, Come on. That. Derek Dorsett on a multi-year so deal for 2.6 mil. Three years, even. Yeah. <laughs> I love those Jim Benning the- signs on Twitter. So many days <laughs> since he fucked up. This is the most sarcastic podcast I think we've ever had. Oh, it's just tough <laughs> looking at that roster. Hey, and, these and- are, look, listen, these are foundational pieces, all right? Brandon Sutter is a foundational piece. Okay. Well, depending on which uh, person you ask that runs the stat site, yes. <laughs> Uh, oh God! I just wanted somebody to splice together a video of of Benning saying that Sutter is a foundational piece, and then Nick Benino hoisting a Stanley Cup in the air. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, proud coach. 
Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Thing, <laughs> the thing that's great about Benito is that because he can think past and move the puck quickly, it covers up the fact that he does have a lack of foot speed compared to the guys on his line. So puck being quick with the puck isn't necessarily being able to skate the thing up and down. And and I suppose it was the thing with Dan Boyle, if we go back to the Rangers, he'd lost all his foot speed, but he could still get the puck up the ice quick. Well, thank Nick. He yeah. gave uh, the other Nick all, all the knowledge to, to be cerebral oh, yeah, out there. Right. Sure. <laughs> the listeners don't no, know. Look, Nick, Nick actually got to coach Mr. Benino, if I'm correct. I did, yeah. I coached him when he, when he was in high school. Uh, easiest state championship I ever won uh, <laughs> as a coach. The only state championship I ever won was uh, – coaching Nick and and pretty much our coaching strategy strategy was to look down the bench and if we saw him on the bench we would go what are you doing get out there <laughs> and uh and he would get out there and he'd do something amazing so yeah you know the thing with Nick is he's always oh, ever since when he was in high school um he, everybody at that time people were like he's not going to be a pro player because of his skating um, cause he's, he just has an awkward stride. He kind of looks like a baby deer out there. That's just how he skates. Um, but you know, his hands and his, and his awareness and, uh, his ability to make accurate passes, timely passes, uh, and to free up space. That's, I think, you know, one of the things that you, you kind of miss, I don't want to say that people that don't play hockey miss it because I think that that's, you know, I, I hate when people, you know, try to big yeah. time. Non hockey players by saying, "Well, you wouldn't know if you played the game," but I think it's something that that is overlooked by a lot of hockey fans in general is the ability to play in space without the puck and to start to see a play as it develops and then um, have a knack for getting to the place where um, you can actually contribute to you know completing the play. And that's something that Nick has always had a knack for ever since he was young. He he kind of sees things a few steps ahead and he anticipates them. And that's what makes him a great defensive player as well. Um, he can kind of anticipate where the play is going to go and where it's going to release from. So he's there to block the shots or to, you know, he, if you, I know you guys watch a lot of penguins, you, you see that where he bats the puck out of midair all the time when people are trying to dump it into the zone and do stuff like that. Um, or he that's, throws it over the ice, over the... Well, yeah, sometimes God he did. does that too. <laughs> oh, I forgot. But, uh, that's, that, that is um, not by, you know, that is by design. That's um, anticipation. Those are those are kind of his, that's his unique skill set. So he's a different type of player, um, but it was pretty, uh, you know, it was an honor. It was, it was pretty fun to coach a, a guy like that and see him, you know... He's incredibly cerebral, cerebral, like you said. I... Writing about him early in the year with Mike Johnston, he wasn't producing, and he, he they were they were making him play it safe and play all defense, and it took away a lot of his natural, probably instinctive abilities to find that space moving forward. And when you combine um, his mind for the game with his hands, he can create for other players that are moving with him. But the Penguins under Johnston were so dialed back, it took it almost left him neutered of all the things that made him great. And I'm like, listen, I know this guy's a good hockey player. It's not happening yet. Uh, it's just not a good fit right now. And then obviously uh -huh. getting Haglin and Kessel is a little bit much for your classic third line. So he was very fortunate for that, but he certainly didn't drown in that role. I would argue that he elevated uh, all three worked together. They were all on the same playing field. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever, yeah. They've got two guys that think like that. Chris Kunitz is a prime example of everything you just said about 
Benino. That's that's what makes Kunitz work with Crosby. His ability to think a half a step ahead, get into the hole, fill space so that uh, it creates space for other players. It, you, you get there and it's like, that's what you need, I think, in the game today. You need a player like that on every line. Because Matt Cullen does very, very similar things yes, in that context. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, you've got to have somebody generate space for others and think a little bit ahead. And then Gino on the yeah. other line. <laughs> it's almost like they had a good oh, team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they were well-rounded and, and put together well. Um, they, yeah, you know, that's, okay, uh, this is another thing that, that, that you know, sometimes um, uh, analysts don't like to throw around is this whole concept of chemistry. And really, it's not about saying that chemistry doesn't exist. It, everything with doing statistical analysis is about okay. Well, how does it manifest itself in the actual facts, uh, you know, of the, of the statistical data? If if there's chemistry, it's probably manifested in you know a good goal differential or a good shot attempt differential or you know it's manifested in positive numbers in play, right? And but. If you just if we just put that aside and we look at you know how a line is actually put together and the working parts of a line um, visually you know when you watch them play what a logical you know what a logical group group of three players to put together in the HBK line like it just made sense to me it wasn't like a aha type of thing. It was more like, well, if I were putting a line together, I would want one guy who's got a, you know, the defensive conscience, as, as uh, they said a bunch of times on television, and who is good at making north-south kind of la- uh, passes up to uh, streaking players. Doesn't and always then, have to be tape to tape either. He, he gets it to space for them to get into. Yeah, he would just toss it out in front of him and say, go get it. And then you've got Haglin, who's going to go get it. Right, he's a retriever. That's what Haglin is. He's a retriever in the zone. He's a retriever in neutral ice. Oh yeah, you're an expert on him too. Having yeah. him all those years. Oh god. Oh, I miss him so much. Uh, <laughs> it's just okay. Anyways, um, and then and then and then you've got Kessel, who is he needs two guys who are willing to defer as far as actually having the puck on the stick. Because he needs time with the puck. He's probably not a good fit with a Malkin because both those guys need the puck. Um, so they did I okay, look, but you're right. I, well, yeah, they did fine. Yeah, you're right. We, yeah, I remember we talked about this at one time. I think you put Kessel and Malkin together. They're both great players. They'll figure it out, you know. Um, but I looked at that line as it was constructed, and I'm like, yeah, obviously. This, this, this is going to work. This, these are three good players that do different things that are complementary. It makes perfectly good sense. And sure enough, it, it, it bore out in the results. So, um, it only works because you've got a, a Crosby and a Malkin who can make other players who are lesser better. You can't have them together if you have to spread it out through, through a lineup. And the fact that Crosby and Malkin can make guys that are either past it or not quite there first and second line, quote-unquote, positional players, it allows a guy like, it allows a line like HBK to exist and go up against another team's third line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and uh, you know, I know, Ryan, we talked about this a half a dozen times on Twitter. Um, and then the beauty of, of how the, that team was constructed is then at any given time you could just power line it if you want to. Sometimes they wait too long. Uh, it's my pet peeve, but, but they, yeah, and that's yeah. We would talk about that, like just power, just 
okay, crunch time, five minutes left, you're down a goal, put all your eggs in one basket. Who cares? It's not about fatigue at that point. Um, it's easy to look back now because they won it all. I know. But, like, there were times in that Tampa series where they really needed to get a goal and they were still rolling out Brian Rust and the last six minutes of a game on a regular shift. Yeah. No offense to him who had good moments, but I need that Kunitz, Crosby, Malkin line out there. They could have just done that. They could have done that. And, and you still roll HBK. Back and forth, right. And if, and, and if, if that Hornquist been... in here and there, I mean, they had options. But that's – I beat the but shit out of that so. at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that well, horse well, is slaughtered. Well, yeah. It's at the glue factory. I, that's, that's like the, the, the coach and strategist in me. I'm going like five minutes left. I'm going, you got probably two TV timeouts here, okay? So let's squeeze the lines now. And and he wouldn't do it. I'm like, what are you doing? Why is Brian Rust out there? What's happening? Why why is Fair out there? Like, no offense yeah. to these guys, but like we the Penguins have some really high end guys. And Chris Letang, don't you even think about leaving the ice? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Anyways, um, um well, so goalies, sure. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say Hayes, but I, I I all I have to add to that is really good. Oh, deal. okay. Just just one thing quick on Hayes. I just got to say this. Okay, Kevin Hayes, if, if anybody knows any, anything about me if, or if they follow me on Twitter or anything like that, you know that Kevin Hayes is like my darling. He is my <laughs> number one guy as far as somebody who I think is just primed for breakout. And I was hoping and praying that they were going to try to long-term him, um, give him like – you know, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Um, but I think they could have probably gotten – done like a, a – four million dollar deal for like four years i really think that they probably could have swung that i think that would be just good yeah and just and you know just with the way it he's he is was undervalued by his own coach um criminally undervalued he sat for tanner glass so that's all that's it that's all i have to say um <laughs> yeah my my darling yeah. bo bennett used to do that sit for 10 but it's glass up, when he was healthy the few yeah the 10 games yeah. he was but whatever that's another yeah isn't that awesome well so so you know i i i, I was like this is a perfect off season to try to long term him because you guys basically lowered his value you lowered his probably his own perceived value and he's got something to prove try to long term him um so either i you know i don't know but this is like i i, I was disappointed i was happy with the Okay, he's on a cheap contract for two years, but in two years, he is going to make money in free agency. <laughs> Maybe five, it though, is, and it would only be a mill over, I guess. He is – everybody thinks I'm nuts when I throw things out there, but I'm telling you, he is a 60-point-a-season type of player just waiting. I always liked uh, um, what I saw, the, the Ranger games uh, against Pittsburgh, to be honest. Yeah, it's about usage well, too. If you're not being put with other guys at even strength that can create, you're not going to create. It's not going to happen. Yeah, if you're playing on a line with Tanner Glass and Dominic Moore, it's gonna be tougher to score goals and to set up plays. That's just the way it is. And he's um, kind of a station to station guy. He's not going to be the guy that lugs it up. No, well, he, you know, he, 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 but then he does from time to time. You're like time to time, but when you got those line mates, you got to do it all the time. And I don't think he's kind of Scott Gomez in his prime. No, I'm going to take it and go, baby. 
the best part of his game is he's got that kind of baby Joe Thornton game coming out of the low corners down in the zone where he can just make amazing plays coming out of the corners. Um, that's where he shines, and he's so big and strong that you forget about it. You're just not knocking him off the puck. Um, but you, you know what you need in that situation? You need guys to pass to that can put the puck in the net. So um, if you don't have those guys on your line, you're kind of shit out of luck. Uh, does he predominantly play wing? Uh, you know, that's the, the, the question that's been uh, – every so one so of the biggest knocks center? on him. Oh, he is a center. He is a center by trade. But he's but been the playing wing. Kn- that's right. He The biggest knock on him is he can't win face-offs. Well, who who cares? Do? Uh, I, I Evgeny just, Malkin can't win face-offs neither. Better fucking yeah. move him. That's because they're that's because they're giant people, and it's really hard to win a faceoff when the other guy's helmet is over your eyes, your sight line to the puck. That's pretty much how faceoffs work in the NHL. So it's whoever can get lowest and get themselves crouched over the puck. So you know, I, I who cares? Who cares? But that's what you know. The the Rangers media beats him up. The Ranger. It, Elaine Vigneault talks about it. Everybody talks about, well, he can't win faceoffs. He can't win faceoffs. And then that turned into, well, I don't even think he's very defensively responsible. But he's, I haven't seen that. He's been fine defensively. But, you know, it's like, that's the narrative. So if you don't win faceoffs, you're not a good defensive player. It's that sort of thing, you know? You're not going to win a Selkie that way. <laughs> that's right. No, you're not. Yeah. It's just. No, I, I feel you. I, I think everybody has their player that's kind of that guy that you're like, he can do more, goddammit, but just put him somewhere. Stop doing this to him. And um, my guy was Bo Bennett, but he got hurt too many times, and uh, he kind of derailed himself in that regard. Not intentionally, but um, combine that with bad usage, and, and my guy never got off the runway. Yeah, Bo Bo had a, a tough run there with the uh, with the injuries. A lot of talent, though. I like, I, yeah. We'll see what he can do in New Jersey. Hope, hope he stays healthy. I always, always liked watching him kind of think the game, and he's a good passer. So, yeah. Um. Now we'll do goalies. So, All right. you have one of the coolest stats around, as far as I'm concerned. The the Mercad per sixty, I think it's just uh, brilliant taking that league average and aligning uh, the goalies based on that, because I think it's the the best. Best way you can do it is is compare them against their peers in that time frame, and and that's what this stat does. Yeah, yeah, I think that that it, yeah, it, you know when it kind of dawned on me that we've got we've got enough information here, statistical information here to actually, you know, kind of make a stat that is um, uh, valuable as a comparative tool. Um, you know, it, I, I looked at it and I said, well, what, what is the thing that is most valuable for somebody trying to compare? Well, you want to be able to kind of quickly and easily tell who's who's above average, who's below average, who's better than who. That's just a basic tenet of looking at, you know, any hockey player or any, you know, anything. Is Can we rank them? Okay, that's, you know, basic thing. And then you also want to be able to, do it against their peers across seasons and put everybody on the same playing field. And so that's what um, the stat Endeavor do. Um, and the actual name of it is adjusted goal saved above average per 60, but it turned into Mercad 60 because nobody wanted to say the other name because it's too too long. I like it. Um, 
but you know, so so basically, you know, what it is 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 um, we have um, you know through War on Ice, which uh, rest in peace. But um, you know, now I'll, I'll have to go back to scraping my own data unless somebody wants to do it for me. But um, uh, at War on Ice, they developed danger zones that they based adjusted save percentage on, and the danger zones are low, medium, and high danger shots, and it's, those zones are based on the um, the shooting percentage or the save percentage uh, coming from shots that come from different areas of the ice. High danger, obviously, being in the slot and and you know mostly below the hash marks in that area, and and medium uh, just outside of there. Low low danger is from the point and from the boards. And so what the stat does is it takes those shots for each goalie, and it applies the league average save percentage on the shots that a particular goalie faced. And by doing that, you get a differential and you can determine how much better, how many more goals or fewer goals uh, the goalie saved um, on average per 60 minutes um, than uh, a league average goalie in his skates facing the same shots. So it's really, you know, in my mind, a pretty simple concept. I think it's a starting point to more um, I, I, I don't think it's the be all end all. Um, but it, um, it took off this year, I think because of those kind of comparative properties and the ability to put, you know, at least with the stats we have put goalies on the, on the same ice surface, um, and see, okay, how does this goalie look compared to his peers? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, uh, you know, something that, that, people have latched onto and now I'm, I'm trying to, you know, take it and develop some other new things with it. You know what I use it like? I use it like uh, Dominic Alamini's hero charts. It's just a great snapshot of where the player is. And you can go from there into the context of the hows and whys is this person there. Um, people, I'm sure you get it all the time. Oh, this, <laughs> like this stat doesn't mean everything. And it's like, yeah, we know. But it's a great starting point. I know. Point. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, that's yeah. I mean, that's the, the one of the skeptical views of the stat, and and I'm fine with it. That's okay. I, I think it's good to tear apart a stat, and you know, and then but then try to present some solutions and some ways to make it better. But um, you know, <laughs> yeah, once the, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I know. But one of you know one of the criticisms that I hear is well, it, it's still primarily descriptive. It's not highly predictive. Um, you can take it and you can normalize it by doing things like, you know, like I did um, last year, some uh, Marcel predictions. So I basically, um, you know, took the stat and then and then manipulated it to make it more predictive, you know, in basic basic terms. Um, and um, and that was good. But you know, as a descriptive a descriptive tool is valuable too because it's telling you what's going on. It, it, and so what if it's not predicting next year for, you know, a Ben Bishop? You know, will he be as good or, the, you know, the same or better as next year? At least it's telling us a little bit more. It's giving us more insight into what's happening right now, much more than regular save percentages and much way more than goals against average, which isn't even – We don't speak of that stat. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, – that, that's a that's – a, Or goalie wins. We, we keep those yeah. in the <laughs> – all about wins. Yeah. No, but it, it it's descriptive and it can tell you, hey, maybe Pecorino is not one of the elite goalies right now. Right. 
right yeah. and, and that's and that's valuable and so that's that's what I used it for um, you know I always kind of laugh when you know people are like well it's not the be all end all I'm like I know I, I hope there that isn't it's there isn't a thing that exists <laughs> I I hope that it's not the be all end all but you know it's something we've got for now and and so to that end you know I've been working on some other stuff so um, uh, Ian Fleming who's another good uh, Twitter follow I don't know his exact it might just be Ian Fleming. I don't know his exact name on Twitter, but Ian um, Fleming sixteen. That's it. Okay, so no, I'm he, I'm Fleming sixteen. Sorry. Ah, there you go. Okay, so he 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 created a, a save chart, which is kind of like a, a, a Dominic Gallimini's hero chart, and he took he took uh, the Mercad sixty stat. He also then put in there another stat that I came up with based on that, which is above average appearance percentage, um, so AAA percentage, and all that is is um, what percentage of a goalie's appearances are above league average. Um, and that has proven to be, and, and I'm going to talk about that at the RIT hockey conference, um, coming up in a few months, but that has proven to be a relatively predictive stat, um, year over year where I'm seeing goalies that are routinely in the same quartile of performance. So they might not, you know, it might not be that year after year, the guy is getting 52% above average appearance, but he's in the same, you know, top 25% or top 50% or whatever it be. I almost view it as like an evolved version of the quality start stat. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and the reason I came up with it was actually because of the quality. So here's an example of, you know, a stat that I criticized, but I said, okay, let me see if I can come up with something better. So, um, Rob Volman's, um, quality start, Stat. The reason I didn't like it is because uh, it sets a threshold of under three goals. Um, the problem with that is under three goals on 18 shots and under three goals on 45 shots are two totally different things. So I don't like the idea that a guy who had a terrible save percentage um, and it doesn't take into consideration the quality of the shot, so low, medium, or, or high danger. So I don't like a guy who you know maybe faced – no, but that's the evolution part of it all. Right, right. I, I, I said, you know what, why is a guy who faced 18, you know, low and medium danger shots um, and he let in, you know, two goals, why is he getting rewarded for that performance? That's not a great performance. Um, so so I thought about it and I was like, why don't I just take the stat I have and and turn it into a percentage of, of appearances that are above average? Um, so in that, like I said, you know, if you look at it as quartile rankings, the same guys appear in the top quartile year after year, um, at least through their, their peak years. So, um, that's, uh, kind of been interesting. And, um, and then I'm also, um, working on a new stat. Uh, I talked about it briefly in Vancouver and I'm going to talk about it again in Rochester and it's called wind threshold. And, uh, that it's about like, if, um, if I were like baking, bread in the oven it's like my fifth attempt where i've burned the first four and then this one is like slowly rising and i'm like all right we might be good here i just got to keep an eye on it so um we're almost there with that stat and and what that stat basically does is it determines what is the the threshold um by which a goalie usually wins a game irrespective of what his team's offense does. Um, and that's 
a simple explanation. There's a lot of moving parts that go into it, but um, probably too much to talk about here. But you know, uh, I'll, I'll get it into an article and, and talk about it at a conference. Yeah, it's uh, I get another uh, home date with the conference. Yeah, that's I, right. I like uh, like having it. I think uh, Ryan's Stimson's putting a yearly thing for Rochester. So selfishly, I think it's great. Uh, I think it's awesome, and we're gonna play hockey this time too. Might, might be lineys. Yeah. Although hey. I have, I am, I am wondering why why your name on the sign up sheet doesn't have a G next to it. No, I'm done. I'm retired. No, no, no. You talk <laughs> all this goalie stuff. You gotta get back in between the pipes. Uh no, no, no. So here's here's how it works. When you're five foot six, like I am, and uh, and not in peak physical shape, and you've got bad knees. Playing goalie is really, really humbling. So, uh, so I, about <laughs> about uh, I don't know, call it six years ago or maybe yeah, five five or six years ago, I said, you know what, I'm going to learn how to be a forward now. And uh, so fun. I, yeah, I'm in my second career. So who knows? No, my, uh, my <laughs> it's uh, yeah, a lot of my buddies that that were pretty decent goalies like yourself, uh, they've gone the same way so it seems to be a general path young man's position well plus when you're in beer league goalie's really not that much fun because nobody's playing defense and uh you know you're just getting you know three on ones where your only defenseman is like you know six beers in the bag yeah but that's the hockey we need the nhl to have (laughs) it's old-time hockey no back checking, no forechecking, try hard with puck That's on right. stick. That that pretty much sums me up these days. So um, Now, I know why we have you here. Cam, I, I know you've been sitting there waiting, asking about your guy. My guy? What guy? No, I don't want to ask about my guy. Cause I, think, you're, I think your guy fares well under his stat. Yeah, I'm a massive flurry very frustrating watching his career sort of go up and down and it's an interesting challenge for what that club has to do with him in the next I would say six months to be perfectly honest so uh, you you cut out what you said flurry right yep Mark Andre Fleury. yeah okay yeah all right so he said this is the return of his voice that's exactly right <laughs> Here, here's the deal here's the deal here's the deal Flurry has I, I you know and I, I don't know this is the anecdotal part of my opinion on Flurry, but it certainly appears like Flurry has worked extremely hard to improve his game um, over the past call let's call it five seasons four or five seasons. Well, he did finally get a real guy that probably does actual drills with him now. That's and that's what I was going to say. He he got a real goalie coach who actually started working with him, and there's been noticeable changes and improvements in his game. Um, you know, you could, you could write an article where you take video from flurry early in his career to now. And there are a lot of fundamental changes for the better in his game. And it's, it's been borne out in the, in the statistics he over the past, um, especially over the past two seasons has been one of the more statistically excellent goaltenders, um, in the NHL, a true top 10 goaltender throughout the season. Um, and consistently so, not a guy who has real highs and real lows, but consistent performance, um, you know, through most games throughout the season. Now, I don't even, you know, I feel like a, a, a 
Penguins fan is going to burst into the room right now and go, but the playoffs, but the playoffs. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know. One of them, but yeah. Yeah. No, it was I, I tough know. to swallow those few years seeing really good teams get sunk. I think the 2011-12 yeah. was my last straw with it. He had two of the worst playoffs ever. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. He had two terrible, terrible playoffs. Um, and uh, he's had a spotty track record, record in it. But you know what? I mean, I, I thought he was he was fine last year. Yep, I um, agree. Uh, and this year, he didn't get an opportunity. The guy had a concussion. And, second, and you know what? Second concussion. Yeah, you're right. And and you know what? What bothers me the most about um, the fan response when he got in the one game and he struggled was everybody blamed it on Flurry. Okay, but here's the thing: a goalie coach and the the training staff has to know definitively that their guy is ready before they stick him in that. It took 30 seconds of me watching how he was moving to say he is a mess. This is going to be a problem. Might have been nerves okay? though too. He has a lot. He had a lot on the line in that one study. He had a lot on the line. It could have been nerves and all those things. But but again, you know, so me assessing it in real time in you know as the game's happening, and it didn't even take an expert. That this isn't me saying, oh, I'm an expert that saw it. I think anybody who saw the first couple shots where he was all just awkwardly moving um you're going nah, this is not looking good right so you have to as a, as a professional as a coach and as a training staff you have to know during the practices that he's not ready now maybe he looked like he was ready maybe he truly looked like he was ready and you know this opinion isn't valid but you know, I, I got to imagine that if he looked that far away from how he looked in the regular season in the game, that something in practices would have manifested oh, itself. Wow. You go, this guy probably shouldn't be in right now. He's probably not there, whether it's, you know, from the concussion or just from general rust and and all those things. Uh, you shouldn't put him in. So I felt really bad for him. It in was that a rough situation. spot. You know, that was a really, really rough spot for him. So I, I, I like Flurry. I think his game, his game has come a long way. I think that you know he did look. He he carried the Penguins for large portions of the, portions of him, the season. Him and Gino, yes. Yeah. Um. So I think that whether you know, here's what I think the Penguins do. I think that they need to keep him um, to the trade deadline, and then they have you know at least let's say they timeshare. Um, him and Murray, you know, at least they have a little bit more of a sample size. I, it's still way too small of a sample size to give the reins to Murray completely, but at least they have a, the, if he performs well, they'll have a little more confidence in Murray and say, you know what, let's just cut the cord here and do it. Uh, this is what I would say about Murray and his sample size. There's nothing in that sample size that screams to me he'll be below average, and I'm willing to live with average at 800,000. I mean, that's uh, that's what I'm thinking too. I think that I think that if if you give him half the season, if you give him the the season right out of the gate, and he he's young, I don't know, he just struggles and it affects him. You might ruin the kid, you know, a little bit and set his development back. His attitude during of, those low points in the playoffs spoke to him, kind of just being like, eh, all right, whatever. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think I think it would be good to timeshare him for the first half of the season. I and think it's ideal in in a perfect world. I just get worried about 
that stupid expansion draft. And, yeah, well, I, that's why I say you get, you know, hope that Flurry plays well, hope that Murray plays well. But then you're wishing on a guy to get hurt, and I don't like doing that. No, I think I think then you know you look at a team that that becomes more desperate for goaltending, and and you know you put, you float Flurry out there and see if you can get a good return on him. Um, well, it's a really good problem to have. You know, depending on what they feel a good return is, I feel as though they, I know. they probably could have gotten that second round pick or maybe even two from Calgary. And Calgary's oh, yeah. like I bet you Pittsburgh was probably asking for, for a little bit more and Calgary's like, you know what, fuck this. Brian Elliott's pretty okay. We'll give him one second round pick. All right, we're done here. Yeah, I just always I, I have that fear. I, I guess this is kind of like my old school goalie coach mentality or whatever. I do have a fear of e- Turning the, I don't know. I look at the playoffs and I go like the playoffs almost. It, it, it's got to feel like a whirlwind for any player, but especially for like a young kid who hasn't done any of it before. Mm-hmm. The season is a grind, and it's a different type of experience. I think, and I just, I always think about it like a young goalie. I always, I, I think about Mason. <laughs> you know, where is like. His first season, he was like lights out, and then he didn't really have the coaching in Columbus. He fell on his face, and he just like nosedived for, you know, he's in free fall for multiple seasons. Um, I don't think Murray, Murray, I don't think Murray has a flaky mentality. Um, not that Mason necessarily does, but, you know, that's the anecdotal word is that. You know, he's, it's always a mental thing with him. I don't think Murray does, but um, I, I just worry that, you know, a young goalie, you, you put him in the grind of a season and you say, okay, you're going to start the 60 games, and then they start to falter a little bit. You might set their development back just a tad. And I've got nothing to go on with that because there's really not that many case studies of it, you know, to, no, to say definitively one way or another. I'm I'm willing to step out on that ledge a little bit. And hope it doesn't crumble. Um, Eight hundred thou, great value uh, to yeah. win six or sorry, fifteen Stanley Cup playoff games. Your first well, I mean, run, that's pretty good. Uh, I believe he set the record for AHL save percentage. So the small sample he does have is pretty encouraging. It's not a guarantee, um, but I, I I wanted them to move Flurry free up some cap space to do some other cool things with the roster to make them even better. Cause you should never, just because they won doesn't mean they can't get better. Should always be looking to gear towards getting better. And then maybe sign a guy like Enroth pretty cheap, who I think could split time pretty well. Uh-huh. Find, yeah, and find the next good... Thomas Grice. You know, they kind of yeah, had him. <laughs> Enroth's a, Enroth's a good goalie too. Uh, under the radar, good goalie. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and I think you're right. And to play devil's advocate to my own point. I mean, Look, if the Penguins are tr- – the Penguins should absolutely should be in win-now mode. They didn't need anything more than average goaltending from Murray. Most don't if you're that close. Yeah, and and they didn't get – you know, for they obviously got, um, you know, some really phenomenal games from him. But um, there were large portions where they got either just straight up below average or average goaltending from him. Um, and he – you know, especially against Tampa – yeah, there were some low points. Uh, 
there were there were some low points where you were like, ooh, they figured you know, they figured out that he's dropping his glove. They fig- that you Joe know, Ward figured Ward fucking pissed yeah. me off. <laughs> you know, but then comes the, back the, and doesn't allow nothing the rest of the way, pretty much. Right, right. They you know they 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 definitely picked up like he's weak on his posts. He doesn't get he doesn't get pushed. So they nipped him on the wraparounds a few times and stuff like that. But then you know the rest of the game. He performed well. He was positionally sound. He made the saves he was supposed to make. And that's all they needed him to do because the Penguins were dominating play enough that all they needed was for their goalie to make the first save. Um, not do the outstanding, but just do the, the ordinary. Um, so, you know, you take that into the season and considering, like you said, the, you know, the 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 $800,000, um, I mean, how much would they be saving by getting rid of Flurry? What's his contract? Five seven five. Five for, seven. Yeah. For three more years. Yeah. So, yeah. but just taking it as this season alone, I mean, that's a, a top four defenseman. That's yeah. He's, that's potentially top four defenseman, or or you know. That's adding Yuri Hudler instead of having to rely on Shiri all year in that role. Yeah. Just yeah, for, or just, just for a guy who's out there right now, for example. Or they pocket it. You know, they or pocket, they pocket it. it. And they've got flexibility for for free agency with a really good team. They're that trade they've already Yakupov as buying low kind of deal. <laughs> trade, <laughs> give up, give up an eighth round pick for Nell Yakupov. You know what I mean, though. They can't make that move right now. They're up at yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. So, so I think playing devil's advocate to my my points earlier, even though in an ideal world as a kind of a goalie guy, I, I would love to see them timeshare, and I think that would be the best experience for him. And if you look at the team dynamic, I mean, just hey, give him the reins, and you're going to get some value for Flurry out there. I mean, somebody, I think, is going to look at Flurry. I I would hope. It's, I would. I think it's up. more not a, a perception of the player. It's how many starting jobs are actually available, and how many teams can take on close to six mil. That's true. I mean, you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think the number one landing spot for him would be Dallas, but you, they, well, they're already, just already eleven million already deep. Eleven million dollars. Yeah. And we're not taking one of that crappy goalie contracts back. That's the whole point of moving Flurry. If we're going to take a bad goalie contract, we'll just keep Flurry's better contract. You, you don't you, you you mean you don't want Niemi where he could either pitch a shutout or give up six? <laughs> I'd look at maybe Carolina is a potential future. I don't know though. Sure. I'd send him to Winnipeg. I reckon Winnipeg should take him on because Halibut's not ready. Winnipeg's in that well, weird there's... zone, but is Flurry going to wave to go to Winnipeg? No, and that's the, that's the other thing. Like, and then they, a year they, from they, now, they'll like... be the same. <laughs> He'll, he'll be the expendable, reliable starter because Hellebuck will be ready, and they've got they've got Comrie too. So I mean, oh, I forgot about Comrie. Buffalo yeah. maybe. Bilesma. Um, if Bilesma doesn't hate him, they just ponied up for Leonard though. Like they got to see if Leonard. I gonna... think this year they'll give him a look, but I think if Leonard falters out of the gate again, they'll start to yeah. think. St. Louis we is can... interesting now without Elliot. There, are they really going to go with Jake Allen? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that is an interesting one. I, I know that uh, Hitchcock he just signed. Closed, um, wow, I didn't know Allen's going to make four point three million pass this year. That seems a bit much. I don't. I don't. I'm not. That team I dynamic changes. That team dynamic changes. Not this season, but next anyway. That'll yeah, be a I, completely different style of hockey from that hockey club next year. So 
I will wait and hold out to see what they become. Yeah, I don't understand the um, the Hitchcock uh, thing with Jake Allen. Like, that's hey, cool, he moves the puck well. Brian Elliott saves it better. <laughs> I mean, I don't Brian Elliott strung back, together some good years. But that Brian goes back to Marty Turco, doesn't it? Basically, he just he liked it when Marty Turco could move the puck to to his forwards. That's pretty much where right. it comes from. Good call. Good wow. call. I never even thought about that. Nice dig. Damn, I wish I tweeted that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like Jake Jake Allen, he doesn't strike me as, you know. He's he's not. To me, he's not a guy. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times. I look at him and I say, this is a goalie who will probably hover around average. He might have that one season where you know he's uh, he, you know a Dubnik type season, right? And then go back down to where he belongs uh, in average, and and um, and have the prototypical NHL goalie career you know of a goalie who is a you know a, a marginal starter i would uh, always that's... be looking for the next grice or enroth and not pay the allen types 4.3 mil but that's the thing allen allen should just get paid that's if you get that production from allen and he's paid two and a half or or 1.75 or two or something along those lines you can deal with that output because you can put other things yeah. into the roster elsewhere to cover for that perceived averageness of the goalie that that's where Fleury's extension kills Pittsburgh there was no need to extend him when they and this is from a Fleury fan you look at the construction of that roster and Rutherford came in in that first year and was just gung-ho we'll do this 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 and this and it really feels like the second year, amazingly, when they actually might have had a chat to Super Sam, you, you get there and it's and it's like the whole thought process of that roster changed and how to construct it. But that Fleury contract is, at the moment, almost immovable because of, of the conditions that he has inside the contract and the size of, of the cap hit. So Rutherford's, Rutherford's inability to get on board early... Really, Rutherford. Has... So I, I've got a long history with Rutherford because I'm a Hartford Whalers fan, um, and Rutherford has always. I think he likes goalie stability. Like he likes to just for the next six years, this is gonna be my guy. For and it makes sense worse. from yesteryear because it yeah. really wasn't. Sh- sh- you weren't looking at it's gonna proper be, things. Right. It's gonna be Sean Burke. Sean Burke's gonna be my guy, and everybody's like Sean Burke. I mean, all right, you know. Okay, I guess, but well, he was a goalie really? himself. Yeah, that's true too. Herder Zerbe, let's roll, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, and then and then Cam Ward, you know, he won the cup and uh, great, that, great run. Maybe country Murray like run. So we'll see where yeah. that goes. So yeah, so I don't know. You know, that might be just a kind of a rather for yeah. You know, I think every. GM and every coach has their, you know, I don't know what, what a blind spot or whatever you yeah, call. It. Everybody has a blind spot. Everybody does. It, it, you just hope that the we yeah blind spot's not you egregious. Just, yeah, you just hope it's not you know Tanner Glass with AV basically. Yeah, term and money <laughs> to Derek Dorsett kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. No bueno. Yeah. So, um, Cam, are we leaving anything out? 
not not that I, I can think of. Um, uh, probably the only thing I sort of wanted to ask is, is what's your your thought process on the whole very public uh, naming, shaming, and firings of, of the statistical community in the NHL environment? Yeah, you know, um, I think that. I think we I think we probably all made too much of it from both sides. You know, I I think um Okay, so I'm going to just kind of lay this out as a initial thing. The folks on the um statistical analysis analysis side of things are right. Okay? Those of us who look at statistical data and incorporate it into our analysis of hockey we're right. So everybody just needs to get over it. However, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to get there. So, however, we, the, the people that, you know, do analytics and, and that sort of thing, we also need to stop being such whiny crybabies about every time that we get challenged because we know we're going to get challenged. So, exactly. and we know that the, you know, the mainstream media is going to do it and the old school hockey guys are going to do it and, and, and you're just feeding into it. You, everybody would just come across as like whiny babies about it. Condescending at it, times too. And condescending, which is, I'm you know. I'm guilty no, of it at times. I'm trying to be I better. am too. I am too. I, and trying to, you know, you know, feign taking the high road, but then I take a jab at, you know, somebody for not being as smart as I am. You know, that's a condescending tone that I take. Um, it's tough so, though when a, a lot of times the criticism, like you mentioned earlier, comes without any sort of solution to it. It's just I'm it picking at your work without doing any work myself, and I think that's why a lot of people get annoyed because I think a lot of the stats people put in an, an incredible amount of work into what they do, and while it may not always be 100% correct, there's a huge amount of effort going into it, and to, just to have somebody who, oh, I watch the games and I know this, and it's like, well, come yeah, on, man, yeah. come on. Who's, who was that? Um, who was that? Uh, Patrick O'Sullivan. The jerk off. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, yeah, that NHL guy who blocked me, by the way. I, I honestly, I swear to God, I couldn't remember his name. Um, who said, well, you know, the whole if you haven't played the game thing, then how would you actually know? Well, if you haven't, I got a, I got a shitty hockey DB page. That means I must have yeah. played somewhat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you haven't taken a statistics course or you know learned how to code in R, then how the hell would you know what the hell we're talking about when we're talking about you know sample sizing and binning and and these different things that go into analyzing data? So just shut up, just shut up. But I think that you know we need to shut up too. And and so you know with all that too, the teams that marry the two are going to be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and so that so going back to the original question, what do I make of the firings? I think that those are just two teams that just are way, way behind the curve, and I think you know we gotta kind of take it in stride and not make it more than it is. You know, there's hiring and firing of all manner of coaches and trainers and all these different things every single year. Trading away and, players, not signing players. Yeah, there are a ton of examples of of. Um, uh, and you know, statistics consultants and analytics people and companies um, being infused into the fabric of front offices. We have it in Arizona. Um, we have it in Toronto. We have it in Florida. We have it in New Jersey. You know, we have it in Carolina. So a little it's, bit in Pittsburgh. Sure, in with Pittsburgh. Oh, in uh, San Ventura. 
yeah, and clearly, I mean, the quotes from Rutherford, you know, clearly he's listened. Um, I think in year two he did. Yeah, I think he's listened. And, you know, where does he put it on the scale of importance of, you know, versus a scout or versus... Gotta well, use it all. I don't know. Gotta yeah, use it I don't all. know where he does, and that's his professional judgment to do that. But I don't think we need to make so much of two guys getting fired. And I don't think that, you know, I think there there was you know, this whole kind of public, um, a little bit of a public shaming of Dello. And I know Dello, everybody says, well, he's got to come in because of his attitude. And I've gone after him. And I think we butted heads a few times before uh, on different, you know, like social issues and stuff like that. But <laughs> for, for all intents and purposes, he's a pretty smart guy. And he's one of the guys that kind of paved the way for a lot of people. So like, let's not, you know, let's not, um, go after him as an individual because he got fired. Well, who cares? You don't control all the, all your circumstances. Um, I, you know, I don't know if maybe he did something. Nobody could possibly believe that he greenlighted the Taylor Hall trade. So he's probably yeah. giving feedback. And yeah. depending on the management staff, they either take it, use it, uh, have him do it, ignore it. We don't know we're not in there, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they kind of ignored him. <laughs> Yeah, sure. You see that Sagan video, right? And and then it's the same head of management from that Sagan video that made the Taylor Hall trade. And then all of a sudden, a guy that you would make the assumption said, if you're going to trade anyone, don't let it be him or McDavid, suddenly out of a job. It, It really feels as though some of these management heads are like really, really slow tugboats, steamboats. They just cannot turn. And that's the and that's what the narrative should be. But for some reason, the narrative is well, analytics are dead. And and I looked at it and I go, I think this is kind of going to prove out to be the opposite. What it's going to prove out is that no, those franchises were dinosaurs, and by disavowing themselves of dissenting opinions, they made themselves functionally dumber and made a, and made stupid trades. I think that. You know, if we look back five years from now, we'll look at that and we'll go, those were dumb management teams. And, you know, whether they were justified in making a shift in, you know, who their consultant is or not, clearly they weren't valuing a dissenting opinion. And as a result, they made, you know, or in part as a result, they made a really bad trade. That's what the story should be. For some reason, the story, it you know, has kind of become this like, well look, Dello didn't work out and let's shame him and Pfeffer, you know, screw him for kind of speaking out and telling his side of things and analytics are dead and clearly, you know, this isn't going to work out. I, what? I'm not, I, I don't see how that's the, you know, the logical conclusion from it all. But I don't uh, think it helps that the NHL still hasn't got their stats right on their own website. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I think, I think that whole you have a look at it. You know how you're talking about the, the mainstream media. They Neither broadcast team, uh, north of the border or south of the border, have done anything to, to make the, for want of a better way to put it, the anti-stats community to think that this is something that needs to be taken seriously. You hear them on podcasts or on radio shows, all these old school guys mock the stats when they use them. And, and you get there and it's like, oh, I can understand why people who are trying to push this development of the game get so condescending and and get so frustrated and get so angry 
because they're not given a platform to get to the majority of the population that watch the sport. Like, Twitter's fantastic, Facebook's fantastic, and it feels to me like there is a massive uh, hockey community, particularly on Twitter, because it works brilliantly when you're, when you're watching the games. But it's still, it's still only a really small percentage of the actual hockey population that do it. And you can see that the game, the actual quality of the game has improved from those teams that have moved towards it. It's a better quality of, of sport to watch when two teams that use the statistics play against each other. It just looks better to watch. It's just more skills involved. Right, so I, I fully understand why those of you that put in the work to come up with these numbers to try and help improve the game want to get condescending and want to get narky because you can see that the, 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 the product gets better. It just it drives me nuts, and I don't even create stats. Yeah, and that's I think that's what where a lot of it comes from. But I think until you know some of the more I I, I, I wish I had better um, you know self control and discipline myself. But I'm just a I mean I don't know I'm an angry lawyer. I can't help myself. I like to argue. <laughs> but but you know it, the funny thing is like so you know some of the more successful minds in the analytics com, uh, community. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like Micah, Blake McCurdy and Tolsky and, um, uh, uh, you know, any, any of those kind of guys They're, you know, they're, they're not as confrontational. Um, they're much more willing to kind of try to teach a little bit and talk to people a little bit. Um, they try to, you know, put things in plain terms and they don't um, they don't get particularly argumentative with they don't even bother right with people that are you know just out to attack their work um, and that takes a lot of yeah. discipline when they're very good at it and um, yeah I think that would be where we kind of got ahead yeah I agree and and you know I, I I like I said I wish that I could have that self control but sometimes I do sometimes I don't but you know my, what I like to do is I like to attack sometimes you know other analytics people um, and I I think that if anything you know if we're gonna kind of get condescending or if we're gonna get um, you know in a mode of, of challenging what's out there um, it's it's actually I think it's better to do that because then we kind of challenge each other to. I, I think it's fine within the community. Yeah, as I long think as it's I think not mean, too. totally mean spirited. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun, isn't it? Isn't that the whole point of, of the criticism is to get there and go? There's holes in your numbers here. Let's have a talk about trying to make them better. Not there are holes in your numbers. You're stupid. The, the, the whole point yeah. of it is to try and, and, and improve like what you've done with a couple of different things. If I'm writing in stats article and Steve Birch doesn't tweet me about it in some way or another, maybe I'm not doing it good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what uh, I mean? It's well, good so, to have that, that bounce back to, that keeps you definitely. on your toes and it makes me at least proofread it once. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's a good, um, uh, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, sometimes every once in a while I hear um, a criticism that the hockey grass folks are kind of an echo chamber. And there might be there might be a little bit of truth to that. We, we certainly come to each other's defense. You know, we have our little Slack channel where we talk, you know, off of Twitter, off of everything else. And we're, but, but lots of that, we're talking shop. We're talking hockey. 
and it makes us better because within that, I don't think people know how often we challenge each other and, you know, question each other's work and say, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if I agree with this or, or agree with that. And it becomes the brainchild of, of some um, new and fascinating way to look at things. So I think that that's the productive way to be kind of the confrontational analyst. Um, I, I think that beyond that, though, um, you know, the, the analytics community probably just needs to maybe um, take a step back, take a deep breath, let the other stuff Chill. You know, look at Florida. Off. Florida's we may have <laughs> lost we may have lost some, but there are other teams going in the other direction. So that's right. And and just you know, just relax. It's gonna be okay. You know, I think we're on the right side of things. I think we're probably gonna the platform's you know, only gonna grow as long as we don't <laughs> shut it ourselves through our terrible attitudes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well. My wife's going to kill me. I have to leave for vacation in less than an hour. <laughs> and I still haven't finished packing. So I guess that's my very direct way of saying this podcast is going to end. Well, look. <laughs> on the uh, on the other on the other on the other side of that drive you got uh, uh, some uh, bloody marys and and beach time. So there will be a beach. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Nick, what would you like to get out there for for our listeners to promote? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Mercad and M E R C A D. Uh, I talk about goalie stuff, talk about Ranger stuff, and everything else. Um, I have not written in a very long time, but I'm a writer for Hockey Graphs. Um, please visit um, our website and our our Twitter. You can. Google search it and you'll find it. A lot of really smart people out there doing really, really good work. Um, and then the last thing I'd like to get out there is that we have the RIT Hockey Analytics Conference. Um, definitely fi- uh, follow um, Ryan Stimson. I believe his Twitter handle is RKStimp. Is that right? Yep. Uh, yep. RK underscore Stimp. R-K underscore Stimp. He will have information leading up to the conference. I think there's still spots open uh, to sign up. It's a really fun weekend. Um, I will be there. Ryan will be there. We had a great uh, time post-conference last year. Yeah, yeah. I think that's you – know, the conference is all well and good, but really it's about the beers after the uh, – it's, it's about the and beers And now we have after. a hockey game. That's right. So that'll be fun too. Um, Yeah, so – so, You have to rub uh, that in. I honestly I, – I can't get out of there, honestly. <laughs> I might not be able to play if I can't find a cage. Oh, we gotta wear a full cage, huh? Yeah, I haven't That's... done that in like a decade. I'll have to, I'll have to scrape one up. Oh man, I got a couple. Uh... <laughs> just wear a goalie helmet. Yeah, there you go. Well, so anyways, I just wanted to shout that out, but. Uh... Um, that, that's, that'll be a, a really good kind con- there's always really smart people to talk at that. Uh, so if you're interested in, in analytics and, and, um, you know, on video too, even if you can't, yeah, make yeah. It. Yep. so, um, hey. definitely follow Nick, especially during season, because he's, you always update the Mercad per 60 and put out those nice, uh, uh, very easy to read charts. And I think it's a nice way of seeing how the goalie situation in the NHL plays out. Uh, living and breathing throughout the year. So, um, Nick, thank you so much. I know it's tough to get thank people you. on a Friday night. Uh, so, uh, anytime we can get guests, especially as great as this, uh, we're we're very grateful. So, thanks, Nick. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, that'll do it.